You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Gators Breakdown. The Gators Fan Podcast, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SCC. Joining me this episode is Will Miles. You can find him on Twitter at WillMilesSCC and his site, readandreaction.com. And it is June 3rd, Will, and my 36th birthday. Yeah, man, I would sing happy birthday to you, but I think that would get everybody to turn off the podcast before we uh, <laughs> before we finished it. So instead, I'll just say happy birthday, a healthy happy 36, and uh, we won't talk about how much younger you are than I am. Oh, okay. No, we won't have to go there. But, hey, I do have a surprise for you as well. The uh, the good folks at uh, Gator Kicks, thegatorkicks.com, they noticed they, when you mentioned they didn't uh, have your size of, uh, of the Jordan Retro 4s, they didn't send last year's version for you. <laughs> so there we go. Turn off on the YouTube version now. Hey, I got to tell you, man, that, that's a good sponsor right there who listens to the podcast and, and responds to their fans. So. That's right. So there you go. I have the box. I'll send them your way. And this is a huge shoe, by the way. Well, that I won't even comment on what that means about other things, but uh, means you have big socks. It does. That's exactly what it means. But hey, I appreciate that. That's pretty cool. I didn't. I didn't expect that at all. And uh, we've, we've had we've had that in the works. We've had that in the works for the last <laughs> week or so. Well, everybody, go check them out and uh, and certainly throw some business their way if you have the opportunity. Yeah, the the GatorKicks dot com. Like I said, you can get the uh, Jordan Retro Four. Uh, version uh, of the of the shoe there so uh com. if you uh well, I want those you go back a couple weeks ago and you can check them out uh when I was showing them off uh on the podcast so there you go will you got you got you got your pair of jordans well this is good i'm sure that uh the, the guys at work when we go play basketball are going to look at give me some <laughs> weird looks but uh I, it'll be fun it'll be fun it's good to wrap the logo all right so will and i will be diving into the uh, the talent on Florida's roster kind of continuing our look from the uh athlon and lindy's preseason magazines uh we had a loaded episode last week and we we're going to get to that part last week we weren't able to get to it so we saved it for uh saved it for this week and kind of in relation to also re- the recruiting and the way that's going for florida and, and the talent there as well but remember before we get there you can find gators breakdown on news for jacks.com slash gators breakdown You'll find all the Gators Breakdown episodes as well as articles from the News for Jack sports team. Last couple of episodes of Gators Breakdown have been really good. A lot of look into Felipe Franks and our first look into preseason magazines. So a lot of that info is not dated. So you want to check those episodes out. Go back in and listen there. You can catch it on also on iTunes, Google Play, YouTube, Spotify. When using those services, please share, rate, and review the show. You know what? I just said iTunes. iTunes is going away. I got to say Apple Podcast now, Will. There's, there's no such thing as iTunes anymore. You, you've uh, outlasted it, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> and catch the podcast on uh, social media. Follow Gators Breakdown on Twitter and Facebook at Gators Breakdown. So as I mentioned, finishing up our uh, look at the preseason magazines, and uh, this will feature a look at the talent on Florida's roster and the unit rankings. I'll, I'll always get a kick out of these uh, as well when the preseason magazines go, go out there and they rate uh, you know, each offensive unit, each defensive unit. Uh, so we'll start with the Athlon uh, magazine here. And we'll have the quarterback position for the University of Florida fourth overall. That is behind Alabama at number one, Georgia at number two, Texas A&M third. And we've kind of, when we went and discussed Felipe Franks uh, a couple of weeks ago, we knew that they had him slotted as the fourth best quarterback uh, in, in the SEC. But if I'm looking at this as a complete unit, I'd have Florida, I probably, I'd have Florida ahead of Georgia at least. And Jake Fromm goes down, there's nothing there. Uh, maybe you call it a wash because Fromm is, you know, the second best quarterback in the SEC behind Tua, but 
I mean, as far as depth goes, I like Florida's depth. I mean, if they had to go to Emory Jones, they had to go to Kyle Trask, I feel better about what Dan Mullen could do with the offense than what Georgia would have to do uh, with their offense if Fromm goes down. So for, to me, if we're looking at depth, uh, you know, even with Texas A&M, probably ahead of Georgia. Yeah, I mean, I take more umbrage with Texas A&M than I do with Georgia there. But yeah. we talked we talked about how I feel about Mond a couple of weeks ago. So I'm yeah. not sure their starter's really all that good. And then I'm not entirely clear who's behind them at, at, at A&M. I, I think this is reflective, though, of sort of what the ceiling versus the floor for Franks is. I mean, he's, he's a – you know, Fromm has put up two straight years where he's been very good to excellent, right? He hasn't been as good as Tua – but he has been a very, very good quarterback. And you figure if you get that, like, you know what you're getting when you look at Jake Fromm, assuming he can stay healthy. I think people who really haven't spent a whole lot of time looking at the Florida program say, well, we're either getting good Felipe Franks or bad Felipe Franks. And, you know, that that's true if you look at 2017 versus 2018. It's also true if you look at Georgia and Missouri last year versus Florida State and Michigan. So I can understand why someone from the outside would look look at that and say, you know, hey, we have to put him behind there just because of the inconsistency at quarterback. And, you know, we've talked a little bit about those last four games or actually pretty extensively about those last four games and and what that means. And so, yeah, I think we're probably more comfortable with Franks than maybe some people who are a little bit further away from the program. The other thing is it's not as if Trask and Emory Jones have a whole lot of experience under their belts either. And so I realize that the pedigree of the guys behind from is, is limited compared to what it is with Emory Jones, but the experience isn't necessarily anymore there. So you look at it and say, he is going to be a good quarterback at some point for Florida, but is he that guy yet? I think there are a lot of questions to be answered, especially if, if Franks goes down. So like I said, I take more umbrage that they're behind Texas A&M than I do that they're behind Georgia. I understand why Georgia's where they are, but oh, yeah. certainly if, if Fromm takes a helmet in the back, uh, George is going to have some uh, some holes to cover up. Yep, uh, and I'll run through the uh, rest of the offensive rankings. We can talk about those players as well. So they have the Gator running back core, third in the SEC. Wide receiver and tight end, Will, second in the SEC. Second in the SEC for the Gators wide receiver core and tight end group. And then, of course, the offensive line, 10th. So, of course, replacing all those guys that they have to replace, four out of the five starters, a lot of inexperience there along the offensive line. They are they're, you know, penalizing rightfully so till we – this is one of those where we have to see it first. You can't – even though the reputation of John Hevesy, I have no no issue with them you know, ranking the offensive line 10 out of 14 teams there. So, well, something I wanted to kind of see here when looking at this as a, kind of a, the offense together and averaging where – all these units ranked in the SEC here. The skill player average ranks third in the conference. I think that that, that says a lot uh, to me there. When you take the Florida quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end, you would rank third in, in the conference. The average comes out to, to, to three there. But once you add in the offensive line, the conference average goes to 4.75. So the offense as a whole – and their their average ranking is you know almost fifth uh, in in the conference there, so it really does back up a lot of what we say, a lot of what the people already know out there. This offensive line comes around. This offensive line solidifies itself. This offensive line can be counted on. This Gator offense is going to be upper tier and maybe even maybe better than we even think they can be once the, if it all comes together. Yeah, and I think you also have to factor in the coaching there a little bit, that the coaches – I think Mullen proved last year that he's capable of designing offenses around weaknesses. And, in fact, when you look at some of the things he allowed Franks to do early in the year, I suspect that some of the reasons that they started to dial things back weren't necessarily limitations with Franks, but limitations with the offensive line as they were sort of learning the system um, – you know, I had mentioned to you earlier in a, in a message earlier this week that I was going back and looking at the film and Kentucky, the game plan against Kentucky looked very similar to the game plan against Florida State. Um, there were a few changes and there were certainly some wrinkles in that game with Florida State, but, it, you know, there just really wasn't the time. and They didn't have the capability of blocking the same way early in the season as they did late. I think you're going to see the same thing this year. The other thing I think we should note is the guys we probably want to look look at on the outside 
are guys like Josh Hammond and Freddie Swain, because those are the guys who have shown the ability to block on the outside. And one of the things that Mullen did, particularly if you think about the Mississippi State game, all those bubble screens that he threw to the outside, well, that basically takes all the pressure off your offensive line and puts the blocking responsibilities on your wide receivers. And while Florida doesn't necessarily have a home run hitter at the wide receiver position, at least not yet, maybe Grimes will be that guy. Um, they've got a lot of guys out there who are willing and able blockers. And I think that sort of maybe makes up for some of the lack of explosiveness that they have out there. And that's not to say that those guys can't take one to the house. It's just that, you know, there's not one guy out there that you go, okay, get that guy the ball. He can turn it into a touchdown at any given time. And But the blocking, I think, is going to be something, especially on the outside, we're going to see early. I would not be surprised if the game plan against Miami is to throw a lot of those bubble screens, getting the ball out quickly, using the wide receivers as the guys who are blocking, um, as well as the tight ends, because you mentioned that they have them ranked pretty high. Um, I think some of that is based on, uh, you know, some of that is based on pedigree for those guys coming in, but you got a guy like Kroll who's big and athletic, and if he can be the kind of blocker that you'd like to have from a tight end, can really give you some some mismatches, and the same thing with Pitts. You know, Pitts is one of those guys where if he can go inside or outside can really open up the kinds of things that Mullen can do on offense, so you know, I, I think it's a... I think obviously things hinge on the offensive line. I tend to believe, though, that with Hevesy and Mullen, you know, the teaching of Hevesy and the scheming of Mullen, I'm pretty comfortable with the way the offense is going to look. Okay. So what I wanted to do here is take a look and go back a a year ago and what the Athlon magazine was saying at the unit rankings there because besides this offensive line, besides Jordan Scarlett, it is pretty much the same offensive skill players that the Gators bring back this year. Uh, there were, you know, maybe still some questions of who was going to be quarterback, uh, you know, Frank, Franks or Trask. And we, I think we knew Franks was probably going to be the guy, but there was still some question um, uh, out there. And how would Jordan Scarlett bounce back from a year off? And would Van Jefferson and Trevon Grimes uh, assert themselves? And how would the how would the guys who've been there under the system uh, adapt to uh, Dan Mullen? So go back 2018. They had the quarterback Athlon did had the quarterback position ranked 13th out of 14. So there was not a lot of belief, even Dan Mullen being hired and his and his reputation that you know going into last year, the Gators had the 13th ranked unit in the SEC. 13 out of 14 at the quarterback position. That's up to fourth now uh, this year. So uh, a jump from 13th to fourth for the quarterback position in just one year uh, for the Gators last year. They had the running back position fifth up to three this year there. So another jump for the offense. Uh, the wide receiver core and tight end group uh, last year combined was seventh. Well, second in the SEC in 2019. So a five-spot jump of uh, kind of what they uh, see this uh, Gator offense doing. So a lot of improvement, especially in the skill position, uh, as we mentioned. They had the offensive line seventh last year, which was probably fair going into last year. Uh, a lot of experience, but just not a lot of experience under Dan Mullen uh, and John Hevesy. So, Will, I mean, just we've look, we've talked about it. We had a whole season worth of podcast about it and and the improvement that the offense made. But you know, the jump from thirteenth to fourth, and the jump from fifth to third, and the jump from seventh to to second in the skill player spot for the Gators, it just really speaks a lot to what Dan Mullen was able to do in year one. Yeah, absolutely, and I think. It's reflective of, you know, we, we suspected that the Nussmeyer-McElwain regime was was um, subpar in terms of its ability to execute on the offensive uh, side of the ball. And I think that was really sort of proven out last year that, you know, there were some things that McElwain did that I thought were decent. He went on fourth down an awful lot and gave his team some extra opportunities. Certainly when Greer was the quarterback, he was able to make the offense move a little bit. Um, but the minute that his starting quarterback went down, then all of a sudden the offense struggled. Now you can say the same thing about Mullen, that he didn't have a starting quarterback go down last year, had Franks pretty much play the entire year. And and there was some uh, there were some ups and some downs, but you could also see it. When you look at the film, you can see adjustments that are made game to game. You can see them made half to half. Um, you can see those sorts of things that we were really screaming for a couple of years ago and, and didn't see, and we saw those last year. So and we didn't see third long play actions. 
<laughs> well, that, that was that that was the first thing that we wanted to see. We didn't see stupid false start penalties yeah. and, and personal fouls and those sorts of things either, at least not, not nearly as much. So I think you look at it and say, you know, from the you know, you hear a lot of people say they trust Mullen, especially when you're talking about recruiting. But I think when it comes to on the field, absolutely. I mean, the guy has proven that he can take talent that's less rated than other programs and, and be really, really good. The other thing is so football outsiders has some numbers on offensive lines. Um, I haven't had a chance to go back. I'm just sort of scrolling through them here when I've got a when I've got a spare minute. But you go back, they only have it back to 2014. But 14, 15, 16, and 17, Mississippi State looks really, really good on the offensive line in terms mm. of their ratings in all four of those seasons. And I'm sure I'll be writing about that a little bit coming up. But so you look at the advanced metrics for offensive lines, and, and Mississippi State was very, very good. Florida was really bad in 2017 in those advanced metrics, and all of a sudden was good last year. So if you're going to say that's the weak link, well, that maybe is the place where you would say that Mullen and Hevesy have a track record of showing that that should be the place where we trust them. That should be the place where we say, hey, these guys are going to be fine early in the year. Maybe they got to protect them a little bit. But you also have to trust them to protect them because I think they did that last year as well. Yeah, so that's why I want to head to Lindy's right quick. And there there are some differences there. Uh, not as high on the Gators in some spot and much higher on the Gators uh, in another they dropped the quarterback position one spot to fifth. They have Missouri at third, so a lot of stock in Kelly Bryant uh, for Missouri uh, there. So Lindy's, uh, yeah, a lot, a lot of a lot of belief in Kelly Bryant there. Will, yeah, they 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 like Bryant the way I like Burrow, I guess. Yeah. Uh, so let's see, running backs. They dropped the Gators uh, one spot there to uh, fifth as well, behind Georgia, Alabama, Vanderbilt, Missouri, Florida. There, so yeah, uh, you know, Keshawn Vaughn. We actually remember him very well last year uh, before he got hurt in the Gator game. That uh, was re- reeling off big runs uh, against that Florida defense. Uh, the transfer from Illinois, I believe, uh, there. So he comes back uh, from uh, for Vanderbilt. So you know, I, I get that. I don't think they have the depth Florida has. I don't know. You know, Keshawn Vaughn. I don't really know what Vanderbilt has uh, much behind him. Now uh, there, uh, Missouri's Larry Roundtree uh, there, uh, another great back, uh, I think, as well. But, like I I, of course, I know Florida's depth much more than I know Vanderbilt and Missouri's, but that's one reason I probably would slide them ahead and kind of agree with the Athlon way of thinking uh, and slotting, slotting them higher. Uh, the receivers, uh, they also agree with Athlon, have the Florida receiver core second, only behind Alabama uh, in the SEC. So, I, mean, I just really think that, that says a whole lot. If if the offensive line comes around, Franks gets time, and we'll see more results like we saw in the second half of Florida State and the second half versus uh, the Michigan game. And we saw that passing game just really – I mean, Franks – well, many times we talked about the lack of accuracy or – that and how he, Brian Johnson, a couple of weeks ago in, in, in the episode, I said, you know, the more he knows the offense, the more he's in tune with it, the more he knows where his receivers are going to be. Those are things that kind of help accuracy. And we, and we really did see that at times late uh, in the season. So with this receiver core, as deep as we know it is, headlined by Jefferson and Grimes and Tony Cleveland, I mean, you, just, you, you list those guys, you know, it's like, man, how do you spread the ball out and make all those guys happy? Uh, it, it, it is a good problem to have. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, as far as the running backs are concerned, I think people are sleeping a little bit on Malik Davis out of all the guys who are out of all the guys you think might emerge as home run hitters this year. I think Davis and Grimes are the guys I look at and say, if those guys can pop, you know, three, four five huge plays, the offense can really be dynamic because they're the guys who really have the ability. You know, P Ryan is very, very good at finding his way through holes and and really getting the extra couple of yards. But he's, you know, he hit a couple of big ones last year, but I wouldn't expect to see a ton of that. Pierce hit them, but that was always sort of at the end of the game when they were putting them away. Yeah. I, I think he's he runs hard. And I know that, you know, based on his high school film, you liked him coming in last year a lot. Um, certainly showed a lot out on the field, but you know, still, it's one of those things where you're like, okay, does he take the next step, or is he kind of the player that we saw last year? So, um, yeah, I, I think it, one of the reasons why the Florida running backs are probably rated a little bit lower is just because there is concern with the offensive line, and when there's concern with the offensive line, then you think, okay, well, are the running backs going to get the ball as much? Just because if you're sitting there second and twelve a lot, um, all of a sudden the quarterback has to throw the ball, and and the offense sputters a little bit so I, I guess i can sort of understand why they would have the running backs ranked lower if they're going to have the offensive line ranked low as well <laughs> well 
that's probably the surprise. But before we go there, I didn't realize, you know, just just a quick glance right here. Kishon Vaughn for Vanderbilt averaged 7.9 yards per carry last year. Eight, I mean, almost eight yards a carry uh, there for in 103, only 103 yards per game. So you could you know, really say that they probably should have given him the ball a lot more uh, there. But uh, like I said, I know the type of player he was. Well, that was no surprise. I just do worry about if you're going to rank a whole unit, and, you know, I know he's really good, but uh, you got to put some, you got to, you know, he's not, he's not carrying the ball every down for Vanderbilt. Yeah, well, we talked about Franks and Fromm, and if an injury occurs to Fromm, what's behind him? Well, yeah. you know, at least at Florida, I mean, running backs are guys, I mean, they're the guys who take the most punishment. And so it's not unreasonable to imagine you're going to get a guy dinged up. And that happened to Vaughn last year, right? In that yep. game, I mean, he tortured him until he went out, and then the complexion of the game really changed. And, you know, Florida, as much as you hope, hope you don't see it, Florida can afford to have an injury to P. Ryan or Davis or Pierce and still have guys to step in there. And and that may not necessarily be true. But again, when you're talking about top-end talent, this would be like if you're thinking about Oklahoma years ago when they had Adrian Peterson and you were ranking running backs, it wouldn't really matter who was behind him. Yeah, right. Adrian Peterson stays healthy. He's the best running back in the Big 12. And so, uh, you know, I, I suspect that that's kind of what's going on here. Gotcha. So yeah, we talked about the offensive line there, and while Athlon had them had the Gators' offensive line ranked tenth, they must believe in Mullen and Hevesy over at Randy's uh, for this because they have the offensive line up to sixth. So replacing four out of five starters, and Randy's has the Gators' offensive line ranked sixth in the SEC. So if it plays out that way, and if you can mix kind of what we saw from the top tier of the rankings of Athlon, and you get the uh, the uh, offensive line ranking from Lindy's. Let's get your offense is going to be pretty potent, and uh, you know, I think they kind of believe in the talent that Florida has on the offensive side of the ball. Sure. I mean, I think you should believe in that regardless of what position you're looking at. I mean, we harp on recruiting a lot, and it makes a lot, it makes a huge difference, but usually what we're talking about is competing with Georgia and Alabama and Clemson. Florida should always have more talent than Kentucky and Vanderbilt and Missouri and, and South Carolina and, you know, some of the bottom feeders in the West too, Old Miss and Mississippi State and, the, and those sorts of teams, Arkansas. So, I mean, bare bones, you just look at the talent and they should be, you know, a top five or six unit everywhere on the field every year. So uh, to have one service put them at 10th says something about the recruiting that came before. Um, and Mullen certainly has ramped that up and obviously brought in a lot of guys this year on the offensive line. So, you know, how much are they really going to be able to rely on that line? I, I don't think that the line is probably going to be the strength, at least not till the end of the year. Yeah. But I do think that by the end of the year, those guys, you could conceivably consider them a strength because once they've got a full year under their belt, they're going to be a lot better. And it's one of those things where last year, if there was an injury, that offensive line was really going to struggle. I don't know if they had two or three guys to put in there as backups if there were issues last year. This year, it may be that the difference between the starters and the backups is considerably less and that the starters aren't quite as effective, but that if you get an injury or two, the guys who are coming in while they're green are going to have the same type of ability. And so, um, you know, it may be that they're not quite as good overall, but they're a lot more there's a lot there's enough depth there to make you not concerned they're going to fall off a cliff. And, and maybe that's why they're they're rated sixth in this one. All right, so as I said, Athlon uh, ranking of the offense, the, the average there, 4.75. Lindy's at 4.5. So you put it all together, you know, you're looking at about uh, the fourth to fifth best offense uh, in the SEC with what Athlon and Lindy's is putting out there. Will, if we move to the other side of the ball in the defense, hey, average of 3.3 in Athlon there. So average of about the third best defense in the SEC. They have the defensive line for the Gators, uh, led by Jabari Zuniga, Jonathan Grenard. You, that, that group there is third uh, in the SEC, only behind Auburn and Alabama there for the Gators' defensive line. Uh, fifth linebacker, you know, you can see that. Lost for Sean Joseph, you got you got to replace uh, some guys there. David Reese leads the way. A lot of praise for him, but, you know, a lot of question uh, marks at the linebacker core uh, for, for the Gators uh, there in replacement for Sean Joseph. You know, Amari Bernie, of course, next in line there. Uh, and for defensive back, they have the Gators second in the SEC, only behind LSU in the ever-so-famous DBU debate, Will. So, uh, like I said, high praise for this defense uh, for um, – for the Gators uh, in Athlon, 
not as high. Uh, they break it. Uh, they break it down the same way uh, Lindy's does uh, for, for the defense uh, for the Gators. They they had the defensive line sixth uh, in the SEC, as I said, where Athlon had them third. So kind of a kind of a gap there uh, that they have to make up uh, from one publication to the other. They have the Gator linebacker core sixth. Those Lindy's. And the secondary for Florida, like I said, they don't uh, uh, yeah, uh, DB as well. You know, it's, a, it's a safety unit that kind of brings down if you when you're talking about the Gators secondary. A lot of questions at safety there. Um, and Lindy's has the Gators secondary third overall behind LSU and Alabama. So, you know, not too big of a difference there for the Gators defense between the two publications and the biggest question uh, coming at the linebacker position. Yeah, that's interesting. I, you know, I, I think the biggest question is probably at defensive tackle. I mean, that's a space where I haven't, you know, again, we talked about injuries with the offensive line. I think the same thing holds true for the defensive line. Um, you know, if something happens to Schuler or if something happens to Slayton, you know, who's stepping in and who, who's really going to occupy that space? I have less concerns about the linebacker position just because I feel like the linebacker position for all his athleticism, Vashon Joseph, there were times where, you know, in the Missouri game and, and a little bit in the Vanderbilt or not the Vanderbilt, the South Carolina game as well, you know, it was a little bit out of position. And so you could get gashed just because you weren't in your gaps. Um, you know, Amari Bernie from all reports has been very, very good sort of coming into that role. And so, I suspect that that speed is really going to make a difference and that the linebackers, especially once you get into the season a little bit, are going to be better than most people expect. And then, you know, I've been high on, on Donovan Steiner for a while now, and I know that there's there's a <laughs> there's a there, contingent out there. There's a desire for people to find somebody, you know, with high, a higher star rating or who's better. And I, I think in there's really value to having somebody who knows where he's supposed to be and is the quarterback of the defense back there. And, and yeah, there are times where he's going to get beat, but there are times where Trey Dean got beat. There are times where, you know, C.J. Henderson got beat. And it's just a question of, you know, are you in the right place at the right time? And that's one of the reasons why he played last year. And um, so, uh, again, anytime you're behind Alabama, I don't think it's really necessarily that big of an insult, particularly with Wilson coming off the injury, right? So if Kair Elam comes in and his lights out, and Marco Wilson is back healthy, then I think the defensive back core probably ends up ranked higher um, and certainly has maybe the highest upside, right? If if Wilson and, and, and Henderson end up being all SEC corners and you've got uh, and you got Dean Roman at star, I think you're doing pretty well. Um, but but I can understand where there are some concerns there. But again, I'd probably be less concerned about linebacker and more concerned about DT. Yeah, I mean, you know, go back to to, to the court, the defensive back position and the safety position. As I said, that's where the, the kind of that's definitely where the question comes in when you're looking at the secondary because you have a lot of faith in C.J. Henderson, you have a lot of faith in Marco Wilson if he's able to come back from his injury and what he showed his freshman year. You have uh, a lot of faith in Trey Dean and being able to to roll into that star position and take over for Chauncey Gardner Johnson. But can Brad Stewart stay on the field? And if it's not him, is it Jawan Taylor, who's a, who's a steady player as well, but he doesn't have that play making difference making ability that I think Brad Stewart had showed in that you know get your know, crazy interception over a Tennessee receiver and the game ceiling interception versus LSU and then you know, is it you mentioned Donald Steiner is it is do we finally see a player like Sean Davis who has some high praise but never as we said not able to get over the field over Donovan Steiner in, in, in a consistent basis so when you're looking at where why the secondary is behind LSU or is it behind Alabama is mainly because of that safety position. And yeah, I, I agree. You go and look at that defensive tackle position and you got Kyrie Campbell, who's a steady, but him and Schuler, when they were able to, it was a nice surprise to see those guys being able to come in and fill in for Colin and Slayton, the guys who were pegged to be the starters struggled in the first few games of the season. And then that, that pair come in and, actually ended up playing better. You, you didn't, you would, you were at least going to hope they could play the same, or you know, kind of live up to to the billing of what we saw. But I remember the Tennessee game where Adam Schuler and it would kind of bum rush into the backfield, and it was able. And CC Jefferson held the edge to get that safety versus Tennessee early on in the game, and that was because of a, of a player like Schuler coming in and, and making a difference early on in the season when the two starters that we thought weren't really getting the job done. So I do think yes, the questions are defensive tackle can can can't. I still would like to see the step up that I still think the upside besides Schuler, I'm a big Schuler fan. I think he can, I think he is a difference maker, but if Slayton and Conliffe actually live up to the billing, 
then the games against Georgia where they're kind of you're kind of steal the game away uh, with, with with some late runs. You know, those are the guys you're really going to count on uh, to really make a difference, and if they live up to 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 the to the kind of players that we think they could be to be to begin with. Yeah, I think there's something else that I'm really interested to see this year too, which is that everybody last year was in the first year in Grantham system, hmm. and we talk about that with Felipe Franks all the time, right? That it's his first year in in Mullen's system, and certainly Mullen's system was very, very different than Jim McElwain's, but you don't get much different than going from Randy Shannon to Todd Grantham. I mean, <laughs> Grantham's a 3-4. He's got people coming from all over the place. His corners are on an island all the time. The safeties are on an island all the time. And, you know, Randy Shannon was covered too. Linebackers dropping into coverage too deep all the time. They couldn't stop the run. So he'd be a single high safety then at that point and drop Chauncey Gardner Johnson down into the, down into the box where he was then having to tackle guys who were way bigger than him. And, and certainly we saw sort of the wear and tear take its toll on him throughout 2017 and was much better last year in a system much more suited to his, to his abilities. And so, you know, when I look at somebody like Slayton or can or, or Conliffe, or even when you look at people like Steiner and CJ McWilliams on the, at the defensive back, like certainly those guys struggled, but you look at a true freshman and a lot of times those guys struggle too. And I wonder whether another year in the system, another year in the strength program, um, yeah, I think we're going to find that some of these guys who maybe struggled a little bit last year struggled because they were trying to pick up a new system, not necessarily because of their abilities. And I, I do suspect that we're going to see some guys step up in a way that maybe we didn't expect just based on um, having an extra year in the system. And maybe even step up, Will, this just came to my mind, and step up in a way somebody like Jacopo Light did last year where it was the right kind of system for him. And – you go look at a player like Jabari Zuniga, who we saw have the talent, we saw have the potential. He would he would kind of feast his stats on the lower tier opponents uh, before last year, but you pair him up with somebody like Jacob Light, and he's taking so much of the attention. Then you have a player like Jabari Zuniga, who actually is getting lauded in a lot of these preseason magazines, and Lindy's actually labels him well as the best pass rusher in the SEC. I don't know if I necessarily see that right now. I think he could have the potential to be as the you know the overall package, but Lindy's has him labeled as the best pass rusher in the SEC. So I mean, there's 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 the thought out there, and you you team him up with Jonathan Grenard and what we think he can do, and his, the flash that he showed at Louisville, and being familiar. And there you go, you talk about the familiarity, him being familiar with already Todd Grantham's defense. Maybe he does step in right away with that familiarity and help Jabari Zuniga, much like Jacopolite helped him last year. Absolutely. I mean, anytime you can double team one guy, um, and this is the same thing on offense, right? Anytime you can take out one guy, then that guy has to be special in order to make in order to make ever in order to get around those double teams. So you saw that with Percy Harvin. You know, they had to sort of scheme to get him open and scheme to get him where he wasn't necessarily getting double teamed. But at the end of the day, you could double team that guy; he'd still get open. And I think the same thing sort of applies to defensive line. That when you have two defensive ends who both have pretty good ability well then the offensive line has to decide which side are you going to chip on which side are you going to double team on can you double team do you have to stay in max protect when you want to take a deep shot well if you do that then the then the opposition has a bunch of has a bunch of defensive backs playing center field who can pick the ball off so um, yeah, absolutely. Having those guys. I mean, and I think this is where the, the transfer in of, of Greenard becomes important. It's where guys like Chatfield and Summerall and Carter and Bogle become really important. Being and we able forget, to get those guys in. Yeah. And we forget about Jeremiah Moon, who wasn't even able to take part in spring practice because of a, of a hurt foot, who also kind of has that label of uh, a, a great athlete who uh, maybe role is to go get the quarterback. Yeah, well, and Trey Dean, too, because, you know, that was the role of Chauncey Gardner-Johnson mm. last year, and there were times where he was brought in to go get the quarterback. And, you know, I, I think the the overarching theme that both Grantham and Mullen have been, have been preaching over the last year, year and a half, is that they want versatility, particularly on defense. And so you look at what they've got in terms of having Bernie at linebacker, and then you've got Reese at middle linebacker, and you've got these guys who can sort of play, who can, you know, if somebody gets hurt, Trey Dean can play corner. But he's also going to be in a position where maybe he's more of one of the, you know, 
he's no longer a boundary corner if he's playing the star. So they've been looking for that versatility. They're starting to build that up. Um, I think you, you could say the same thing about the defensive line that you got Zaniga and Grenard on, on the outside and then sort of those defensive ends who are coming in. And, you know, you mentioned Moon. I think, again, that's a great example of somebody who started out as a linebacker so does have some ability to drop into coverage and allows you to do some things that maybe you can't with some other people. All right, so that gives us a look at kind of the unit rankings and uh, the defense there uh, for Athlon had the Gators' defense 3.3 ranking, higher than the 5.3 average uh, that Lindy's was getting. So you're looking, if you average the two there, about the fourth best defense. So you combining the, the averages for both the offense and defense, you're looking at the Gators being about the third, fourth best best team uh, in the SEC, you know, speaking to a lot of talent there. And we all was really surprised. We're going to take a look now uh, at the all SEC teams uh, that both magazines showed. And this kind of really showed me uh, that Florida does have the talent to compete with you know, Georgia. And I think it comes down to the game in Jacksonville uh, that there is talent enough. There is enough talent on this team to go compete, go win the East and, and you take your chances uh, against Alabama, whoever it is uh, in the SEC West. So looking quickly here, Athlon, they go four teams deep, Will, and they have 10 Gators uh, overall on their All-American list. They have two first-teamers uh, with Jabari Zuniga uh, on the defensive line and, of course, C.J. Henderson uh, at the cornerback position. They have one on the second team. The Michael Piran is the second team, one of the second-team running backs uh, on Athlon. Four Gators make up the third team. All-purpose, Kadarius Toney. And let's see on the defense linebacker David Reese, and then the uh, special teams unit. Will you have Evan McPherson, Tommy Townsend uh, as two third teamers uh, in Athlon's magazine, and then there was three uh, on the fourth team with Felipe Franks at the quarterback position, Van Jefferson at wide receiver, and then Brad Stewart at safety. So even though you know, we talked about this last week uh, a good bit with Brad Stewart, not on the field a whole lot last year, but still getting lauded for his potential uh, in what these in what these um, publications see here. Uh, really, 10, two, you know, on all four teams there, uh, you have 10 Gators. Alabama was was first, uh, of course. <laughs> they had uh, six on the first team. They had twelve overall. Uh, so Gators only two behind Alabama when you go when you take a look at all four teams. But Alabama definitely in that top tier first second team there. As I mentioned, they had six on the first team. Eleven of the twelve overall for Alabama are first and second team. So uh, of course, high praise there uh, for the Crimson Tide. Georgia. Nine overall on the All SEC team for Athlon. So the Gators had one more player than the Bulldogs. Uh, there, Georgia had four on the first team. Uh, as I mentioned, the Gators had two on the first team. Uh, so the Gators are, you know, only two behind Alabama, one ahead of Georgia overall in Athlon's All SEC. Great company to be in there. LSU only seven overall uh, with Athlon's All SEC. And surprisingly, will Auburn tied with the Gators? with 10 overall in the all SEC teams. So, you know, you compare Auburn, Alabama, you know, you kind of, yes, there's a talent gap. We know Alabama and the way they recruited and, and their machine, it is different. But you look at, here's kind of a barometer here. And as I mentioned, Alabama's is top heavy, but you start looking at depth of some other SEC teams. Florida has 10, Auburn has 10. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that's representative of what the recruiting rankings have really looked like. I mean, Auburn and Florida have recruited fairly similarly over the last four or five years, and so that's kind of what you'd expect. And from the names you listed, I think um, it seems as though those names are very experience-heavy. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Franks, Ryan, Jefferson, Reese, Henderson are sort of the guys that you listed. The only one you listed who's had a limited amount of, of experience is Stewart. And so, you know, these lists, especially preseason, go with somebody who's shown something on the field, right? But we also know that there's going to be some true freshman who comes in and, and makes a splash. And whether he's at Alabama or Georgia or Florida, who knows? But a true freshman is going to come in and make a difference somewhere. And there are going to be true freshmen on the all-SEC <laughs> all team at the end of the year. So, you know, I, I think when you really look at this, what you're really saying is, is that Alabama, rightly so, has shown a track record of getting more production out of their guys than anybody else over the past really decade at this point. Um, Georgia hasn't necessarily shown that track record. I mean, you look at somebody like Justin Fields, you would have expected, I'm sure last year coming in, there was an expectation that Fields was really going to at least do something on the field last year in some capacity, and he just wasn't used in that way. Um, 
So, yeah, I, I I think I think if you look at first and second team, I would bet Georgia has more guys on those teams than than Florida does. But again, if your quarterback is getting in the top three, if your quarterback is making the third team of the All SEC, and you've got nine other guys on there, you're gonna have a pretty successful year. Yeah, and it's kind of a similar story here on the Lindy side. They have three. Uh, three teams out here. They only go three teams deep there. Gators have eight overall uh, on Lindy's. They have three uh, on the first team here, all on defense. Jabari Zuniga, David Reese, and C.J. Henderson, all first team uh, players, uh, according to Lindy, have two on the second team defense as well. Oh, well, Brad Stewart and then punter uh, Tommy Townsend there. Uh, and then if you go to the third team, three more Gators there, LaMichael P. Ryan, Van Jefferson, and Marco Wilson. So, uh, based on experience, Will and of Lindy's defensive heavy for the Gators. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think they're going to have to lean on their defense early, especially as the offensive line sort of establishes itself. But um, I'd, I'd really be interested to know, and you probably don't have it. It's unfair of me to ask, but how many were on the first three teams last year mm. or in in the preseason? Just the magazines because... are just out of reach. <laughs> well, I, I remember having this conversation last year. Yeah. And being really sort of surprised at how few Gators were actually on the the All SEC teams, and so certainly coming off a ten and three year, and it's natural to coming off of a year like that to say, okay, what are we going to build to? Like we were ten and three last year with all these limitations. What are we this year with a full year in the program and that sort of stuff? And you hope that's what happens, and you hope you have that sort of linear relationship. I'm not sure it always happens that way, which is kind of why people I think are probably picking Auburn pretty high this year, at least in terms of the number of SEC, all SEC players, just because Auburn, you know, had a pretty good year a few years ago, and then or two years ago, and then lost to UCF on. You know, unbelievably, and <laughs> caused caused some consternation with us having to talk about that stuff. But, um, but you know, last year took a step back, but was still a pretty good team. Um, so if they get, you know, if if it turns out that Stidham's replacement's halfway decent, they've got a lot of talent on that team, and you can see them taking a step forward. So, yeah, this is always the fun of it, trying to figure out yeah. who what, and and you look at Florida right now, and you say, okay, where are the holes? You don't see them until the games actually start, and then once you see them, you're like, oh, okay, wow, we didn't see that. Or you look at it and say, wow, I wasn't expecting this kind of play from this guy. You know, Franks comes out – if Franks come out, comes out and plays as well as Fromm has the last couple of years, Florida's going to be really hard to beat. But if Franks come out comes out and plays, you know, kind of like he did last year, then it's going to be – there's going to be some inconsistency. And, and, you know, that happens a lot, right, that the quarterback leads the way, and, and that's probably what we're going to end up seeing. Yeah, and what this did looking at these uh, these all SEC teams is it really got me even more excited, and it kind of opened my eyes that there may be a little more talent on this Florida roster than I. I mean, look, these players that I've listed these you know, the last few minutes, I know they're good players, but comparatively speaking, of what Alabama, Auburn, LSU, Georgia, uh, Tennessee's bringing to the table, uh, it kind of opened my eyes a little bit that there's more Gators on here than I, I really thought. You know, kind of finishing out finish out Lindy's here. They had. Uh, 13 overall on the three teams. As I say, Florida had eight. Georgia, six overall. So Florida, in another publication, more all-SEC players uh, than, than the Georgia Bulldogs here. Uh, uh, LSU with eight, so Florida was tied with them. Auburn only had five overall uh, in this one. So uh, Christopher Henderson, by the way, was a first-team All-American in uh, Athlon, uh, second-team All-American uh, in Lindy's here. And, Will, before I finish up the kind of our preseason magazines here, um, Lindy's had an honor roll uh, listing here. So and they had a string uh, they, and they had uh, a few Gators in their uh, few kind of uh, categories here. Strongest arm, they have Felipe Franks uh, here. So no, no surprise. We've seen the bomb to Cleveland versus Tennessee. Uh, we've seen the arm strength. Uh, and that, that's still that throw, a couple throws last season, that, that NFL throw. Uh, to take the lead versus Georgia last year, not many quarterbacks are are making that throw. Uh, and then some of those, uh, you know, uh, there's another one against Michigan where he just dropped it right in behind the linebackers uh, in front of the safeties there. So you know, we've seen it from Felipe Franks. We've definitely seen the strongest arm, or one of the strongest arms in the SEC uh, here. And then to finish it off, they have, uh, as I mentioned, uh, let's see, uh, best cover corner in the SEC goes to C.J. Henderson. Best pass rusher, as I mentioned, uh, Jabari Zuniga. And then this one kind of surprised me. Don't really know what they mean by this, but they uh, special teams demon will one Freddie Swain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure exactly. Well, I'm, 
Uh, other than the fact that he's been an effective special teamer, I, I'm not sure what that means. But, yeah, I don't either. Um, it's interesting that you said that one of them has has Chris Henderson as as the second team. That well, dude, that dude would have been a first round pick this year yeah, in the that, NFL draft. Oh, like, well, speaking of that, they actually have him as tenth overall in the SEC as top NFL talent. Tenth, huh? Yeah, I'd like to know the other nine. To be honest, he with you. is the only DB on the on the list of ten. Though. Okay. Well, so so wait. So he's listed as the top corner in the SEC from a talent perspective, but they don't have him first team. Uh, no, they they did have him as all SEC, right? But yeah, yeah. Um, Lindy's did only have him as second team All American. Yeah. Well, again, we're we're splitting hairs yeah. at this point, but it's just surprising to me that somebody who's who's really sort of seen at this point as a consensus top fifteen, top twenty pick is behind two other corners somewhere. So. Um, I, I suspect he's going to prove that second team SEC wrong so long as he can stay healthy. Hopefully. Hopefully we see it, Will, in December. When December rolls around, we see one Christopher Henderson matched up against Jerry Judy. <laughs> well, that means a lot of things have gone right. So yes, yes. yes absolutely. I will I will uh you give me that going it, August twenty third. If you tell me that's the way the season ends up, I'm gonna tell you we're gonna have a really fun ride. <laughs> That is hopefully we'll have to wait to the NFL to see that matchup of Christopher Henderson versus Jerry Judy because that is we got to see it with you know Florida's DBs and what uh, Alabama's wide receivers of course you know Amari Cooper and and, and that like uh, the last few years uh, when Jim McElwain was you know um, able to get to Atlanta but uh, yeah we uh, I, that, that's one matchup I, I definitely uh, want to see so. We'll switch gears a little bit before we uh, finish up this episode of Gators Breakdown. And you wrote an article about it on Read and Reaction, and kind of in re, uh, in reaction to uh, Warren Brinson committing to Georgia over Florida this past weekend. You know, crystal ball picks were were flowing in for Florida. Heck, even the staff felt good <laughs> about this one in, in Brinson picking the Gators. He released a top two late last week of Florida and Georgia. Ended up picking Georgia. Uh, some of his interviews after the fact made it sound like he maybe never really had intention of choosing anyone other than Georgia, even after decommitting de- de- from the Bulldogs uh, earlier. You know, it continues what some would say the IMG curse for the Gators. And, and, and Brinson is originally from the Savannah area. He does play at IMG, but you know he is originally from Savannah, has a connection to Georgia, that a connection is there. Well, this one hurt the fan base because everything pointed to him picking Florida – the insiders, uh, you know, some 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 of the staff feelings there. Yet Georgia gets another one. Sure, but I think a lot of people have had had disappointment after Georgia's reeled in the recruit they thought yeah. they had in the last three yeah. or four years. And and obviously, I mean, you know, again, when we talk about recruiting, and when we talk about being critical of recruiting, what we're really saying is is that you've got two behemoths in the SEC, and LSU is recruiting really really well, and had maybe one down year a couple of years ago. But other than that, is kind of a recruiting behemoth, not quite on the level of LSU, or not quite on the level of Georgia and Alabama, but certainly one tier above where Florida has been over the last four or five years. And so you have to play those three teams every year. And so, you know, we've talked a lot about how, you know, you're somewhere in a 35 to 40% chance of winning each of those games when you play a team that's more talented than you, just based historically on how those teams tend to do. So if you got to play three teams that are more talented than you, the probability that you run the table is relatively low. Um, now, the nice part is, is when you play three teams that are that talented and that good, if you if you win those three games, chances are you're really you're really playing for something at the end of the year. So it's a good thing to be in the SEC from that capacity. But it's a it's a bad thing to be in the SEC just from the capacity of it becomes very, very difficult to compete unless you're recruiting at that elite, elite level. But, you know, you got to build from somewhere. Right. And I think at this point, we pretty much know that Mullen is not going to be Kirby smart on the recruiting trail, at least not yet. Right. Like his track record at Mississippi State wasn't one where he was, you know, bringing in significantly higher recruiting classes than than people before him. Though I do think if you go and you look at what Mississippi State's doing on the recruiting trail this year, maybe he's better than we give him credit for. Um, The other thing is, is that, you know, that that the argument that that this that you make a determination about Mullen based on recruiting, I think is is reserved for people who haven't spent any time watching film. I mean, the guy's done a really, really good job of scheming for his talent, of making the most out of the talent that he has. And so the question to me, if you say, okay, he's not going to be Kirby Smart or Nick Saban on the recruiting trail, the question to me then is, 
is the recruiting improving or are we just staying where we're at? Because if we're staying where we at where we were at last year, then you're competing consistently is going to be a hard a hard sell whereas if the recruiting is improving then that sort of says hey if you continue to show progress on the field if you continue to show an ability to win then the recruiting should get better and better and better and people point to Clemson and I think there are a lot of flaws with just pointing to Clemson and saying that they you know they didn't recruit well for years and years and years but one thing you can say is this year in particular Dabo showed it on the field and they all of a sudden are bringing in an unbelievable hole. So, so that does exist. And again, I think when you look at Florida, so last year at this time, they had 10 total recruits. Three of them were in the top 100. And the average recruit was like 498, I think, the, the average ranking. This year, they've got 12 recruits. Six of them are in the top 300. Two of them are in the top 100. And so they got a 50% top 300 ratio of the recruits that they're bringing in. And the average is much lower. It's in the, it's in the low the low 300s at this point. So, you know, last year at this time, they were 27th overall. This year, they're 7th overall. But that's a little bit misleading because you're talking about points. Last year, they were 17th in average in sort of the individual player ranking that uh, the 24-7 puts out there. This year, they're 13th. So still not not you know not clemson not alabama not georgia but much more in that auburn in in sort of that auburn range where you know you got to take over auburn first before you can take before you can take over lsu and and georgia and alabama and clemson and that's sort of what they're doing so you know is everything rosy on the recruiting trail no i mean i would have loved to love to have seen him get Brenson. I would love to see a couple of five-star guys in this class. There are a lot of things I think that you look at and say, typically you don't win big in the SEC if you don't have these things. But at the same time, the picture is better this year than it was last year. Um, last year at this time, there was almost no mathematical way for Florida to get into the top five. And really everything had to hit right for them to get into the top 10, which is exactly what happened, right? I mean, Mullen just had a run of guys at the end that he was able to close on and get to that ninth spot. Now, obviously if you take steel out of that equation, they fall to 13th, I think, which, you know, is, I, I'm not sure you can really call it closing on steel considering he's already left. So, you know, this year you look at it and you say, if they, if they just kind of hold Pat where they are, they probably end up at ninth. And then if he's able to put sort of an aggressive close, they can end up in that fourth, fifth, sixth range, which again is a significant step up from where they were last year. And I think is a sign that at least if nothing else, the recruiting will continue to improve as long as the program shows progress. Yeah. And that, that's, that's kind of where I went over the weekend with it. You know, there was a, there were a lot of uh, opinions both ways. Uh, you know, some fans are, are you know kind of, uh, upset with the with the way it happened, and then the, the kind of extreme notion that Mullen would never win uh, because he can't recruit. I, I still think it's way too early to say that. And like you said, it's not all sunshine and rainbows either. There there are problems. Whatever whatever the reason may be, whether it be facilities, whether it be uh, more 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 of a need to, to to consistently show it on the field. Uh, you know, whatever it is, you know, whether uh, Georgia's throwing more bags in Florida, whatever it is, you know, we, we, we hear all of the reasons uh, it is, you know, the Florida recruiting staff definitely behind the scenes needs some work. Uh, that that is that much is known, that much is readily known uh, right now that you know, that can uh, that, that that can get better. And and we knew this coming in, Will, that when and I had a lot of Mississippi State people on uh, who could back it up, you know, they're 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 going to they're not going to rest on their laurels, but they really believe in, in, in their system of developing and, and, and coaching. But you can see it. They're still going after the same players that Georgia, Alabama, Clemson are, and, and, and they're losing out uh, on a lot of them. But, you know, I, I have no problem whether uh, – you know, I, I do kind of have a problem whether you want to go ahead and determine that Mullen's not the guy because of recruiting. It's – way too early to say that there's no way to know that and i, I don't necessarily tend to believe that either i don't i mean and my, my, and my thing is what is what does it mean that he's not the guy is it is, does it mean he's not the guy to beat georgia is it not the guy to win the sec is it got a guy not to win the the national championship i don't know what the barometer is uh for a lot of the fan base but you know there's also belief in mullen you know because of uh, what he did in year one and what he did with McElwain's recruits and you know mullen has brought in transfers to help make a difference. But you know, most of the playmakers on the team are, are still McElwain players that he has developed in one season 
to be considered, you know, one of the SEC's best roster that we kind of, you know, we just pre- previewed here. And you know, the preseason mag- magazines believe that, you know, this roster is one of the, the three or four best uh, in the conference and, and can challenge Georgia in the SEC East in, in 2019. So, you know, while the recruiting isn't at the level of Georgia, Alabama, Clemson, and, and, and such, let's not totally dismiss what Mullen may be able to do with a roster built with his players, you know, rosters that have been built with, with, with better recruiting classes than, than what McElwain was bringing in, because that, that, is, that is what's happening. It, the, the, the recruiting class is better than what Jim McElwain was able to brought in. Is it enough to compete with the rivals? We'll see. History says that the recruiting needs to be near the top of the conference to, to consistently compete. But if he can continue to, to get the most out of the roster like we're seeing now, and granted we need to see how the second year plays out, then there should be some confidence in, in, in that we're in good hands. Now, you know, we, we've done it and we've had plenty of conversations about it. Not going to completely dismiss recruiting. You, you know, stand by the stars matter motto, but you know, needing coaching and developing is is a given. You can waste a lot of talent, and us skater fans know that better than anybody. That you you can waste a lot of talent, uh, no matter you know what we, what the recruiting rankings say. You can get those top classes, but it can also be wasted. But you know, I'd love to see Mullen with every advantage, all the weapons in in his arsenal here. You know, recruiting. Does need to be better, but yeah, I'm not going to totally dismiss what Dan Mullen does. You know, for the better part of September through December, you know, if it was just about recruiting, then why even watch the games? Let's just go by what happens on signing day. You know, does it play a large part? Sure. Can it be better? Sure. Do we want a top class that is you know revered and, and discussed nationally? Absolutely. And it, and it does hurt losing talent in state, and it's even amplified when that talent's going to the rivals. And look. Said it before, say it again. No idea what would happen, uh, you know, if it's not one of the top classes year in and year out. Part of this recruiting talk is, you know, it's the offseason. Recruiting gets magnified, you know, more so than the rest of the year. You know, what this staff is known for gets lost in the phrase sometimes and, and sometimes for me as well. But we'll still go be there cheering every Saturday in the fall, uh, you know, and, and not think Florida, you know, I can't go into a game and not think Florida has a chance to win every game they play, no matter the opponent. That's, that, that's the fan in me. I'll always be a fan first. Uh, you know, and I, and I hope when I critique here on this podcast and out on Twitter and stuff, you know, that it's viewed as fair uh, because as I said, I am a fan first. I'll still harp on how, how important recruiting is, uh, but it's never the end all be all. Uh, but it is a good indicator of setting up for success, and I'm going to enjoy the ride. Yeah, man. I, I think Twitter isn't real good at nuance. <laughs> yeah, that is absolutely true. <laughs> and so, you know, I you know how you know that we're that we're doing the analysis right, or at least I hope how I know I'm doing the analysis right is that when I write an article critical of Mullen's recruiting, I get killed. And when I write an article saying it's not as bad as everything that everybody's making it out to be, I get killed. And so, <laughs> so that's how you sort of know um, that you're straddled the fence right. So, I mean, I guess, you know, you sort of mentioned it, that, that how you see this is viewed by what you see as successful. And, you know, the, the issue is, is that most coaches who have won the SEC championship have recruited a lot better than this, at least early on. But most coaches haven't been competing against Alabama and Georgia the entire time they've done that either, not only on the field, but for recruits. Now, again, I don't think there's anywhere, you know, there are plenty of people who were critical of the Florida softball team for finishing eighth or, you know, just in the top eight last week for the, for the Women's College World Series. That's a heck of a year. But, you know, there are people who are going to look at that and say that's not good enough. And so that those same fans are going to look at, you know, fifth or sixth in the SEC in recruiting and say, that's not good enough. And to be honest, I'm one of them because I don't think that it's necessarily good enough to compete at the level that Florida wants to wants to compete at. But at the same time, like, you know, who are you going to get who's better? <laughs> like that, yeah. that, I mean, it, you're not going to go hire Kirby away from Georgia. So, you know, you got to compete with them. You got to go head to head. You got to try. You're going to lose some of those battles. And the hope is, is that if you can win on the field consistently, because I don't think there's any doubt that Mullen's a better coach than Kirby, at least with what we've seen thus far. The other thing is, is, you know, you mentioned that um, he's bringing in more talent than McIlwain. So basically, do we think he's a better coach than McIlwain? I think we'd say yes. Do we think his track record's better than McIlwain? Yes. Is he bringing in better recruits than McIlwain? Yes. 
So really, we would expect the results on the field to be better than what McIlwain's were. And McIlwain's results weren't terrible until he lost the team that third year. So yeah. as long as Mullen's able to hold on to the team and, and everybody trusts him and believes in him and everything we've seen has indicated that, I think Florida's going to be very, very good. The question is, is you know, what is successful for you? And, you know, Alabama doesn't beat Auburn every year. No. Auburn's played for the national championship since Saban's been there and has and has won the SEC championship since since Saban's been there. So it is possible. But if you want to be the big dog in the SEC, then yeah, you're gonna have to recruit like those guys. But you know, you gotta walk before you run sometimes. Clearly, this is where Mullen is. And we can have discussions about what needs to what we need to see. But the reality is he's going to get three, four, five years to prove it. And I'm going to keep rooting for him regardless of what I've seen uh, because of some of the things I've seen on the field. And, and also, you know, regardless of what we see from recruiting, because, again, these are really good players. Like this is not to denigrate the guys who were there. It's just that when you compare the roster of, of Florida to the roster of Alabama, at least in terms of how they were ranked in high school. Um, there is a difference, and let's acknowledge that difference and then say, hey, if Mullen's able to win with these guys, he's done a really, really good job. Yeah, and, and I, I do go back. A lot of it, I did think it went too far with calling for Mullen's head right, right away. <laughs> you know, <laughs> just after you know, after one more uh, commit, you know, chose to, to to not choose Florida. You know, and I really don't try and harp on what people believe. You know, everybody's entitled to their own opinion, but there are some extremes out there and, and way too early uh, prognostication that he – will not get it done. I don't, and honestly, I don't know in their mind what not get it done uh, means, but I'll go back to last year and, and, and kind of the, the, the rebound from the year before. I had a lot of fun last year. Yes, Florida lost three games. Yes, Florida lost to Georgia, but you know it was a far cry. You know, I still won't forget how I felt when Florida traveled to Starkville and Donovan Steiner gets a sack on <laughs> you know, that, that sack at the end of the game and the pick six with Brad Stewart and finally beating FSU and going to Atlanta and winning the Peach Bowl and, and having a good time with fans. You know, it was fun again. Florida football was fun again, and hopefully that is something to build upon. Yeah, well, I mean, it's funny. After I – um, you know, I picked against Florida last year against Tennessee and then Mississippi State and then LSU and, and got a lot of flack for it. And I was wrong. Right. I mean, I, but after that Kentucky game, I was like, like yeah. this, may, this may be an issue. Like we may be, be in for a bigger rebuild than what we think. And the fact that Malone was able to write the ship made, you know, I don't care. I wanted to be wrong. Right. Like, right. Yeah. like I want Florida to win, but I'm obviously going to try to give objective analysis when I'm looking at different things. And then you go and look back. Like I said, I was looking at the film of the Kentucky game last week and said, oh, like basically it looks like the playbook got opened up a little bit too soon. And but kudos to Mullen for saying, hey, I'm going to make some adjustments and I'm going to rein things back in for this game against Tennessee and this game against Mississippi State, because, you know, that's what I need to do to win on the road. And in, in these environments where, you know, you don't necessarily know what you're going to get out of your guys, specifically Franks at the time. So, um, hey, I mean, if you can't have fun watching college football, I don't know why you would pay any attention to the recruiting rankings. Like the whole point of the recruiting rankings is to get some idea of what the ceiling of your team is. But there are plenty of teams that perform really, really well in recruiting and then don't perform well on the field. I would much rather be in Florida's situation than in USC's right now. I mean, USC's has been, USC's been bringing in top 10 classes for the last decade, hasn't really won anything. So, you know, you tell me who do, who do you want, Mullen or Clay Helton? You know, Clay Helton's bringing in unbelievable recruiting classes, but not winning anything. Florida's bringing in very, very good recruiting classes, and let's see if they can win. Oh, there we go. Went, went, went another hour, Will. Hey man, that, oh, it's always a good time when we're talking about the Gators. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a, it was a fun episode, and like I said, you know, going through and, and these pieces of the magazines, it was it was a little bit of an eye opener to to kind of prove, you know, Florida Florida does have more talent out there than maybe uh, proceed to believe, and uh, uh, you know if that talent lives up to a lot of the expectations, or even takes another step forward, then uh, you know that that Florida Georgia game in Atlanta is gonna gonna come down to to all the marbles, and hopefully the, the Gators are in Atlanta. Hey, man, I, I can't wait for it. We're only a couple of months away um, from, from camp opening, at least. And I saw I saw somebody tweet last week about when camp started, and it was less than 60 days. I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe it. It's coming. It's coming. Yeah. Oh, man, what was the date? It was July 24th or 29th or something like that. Yeah, but it is isn't. It is the last week of July is when we get, uh, we get fall camp. So, ooh. We call that Christmas on Gators Breakdown. That Christmas is. The opening of fall camp. <laughs>
It's uh, I remember Bill King would always open his uh, he would he would always open his season opener um show of uh, it's the most wonderful time of the year Christmas song. So <laughs> it's, it, yeah, that's exactly what it feels like. Uh, we uh, you mentioned you, know, you said you were looking at some offensive line stuff, uh, but what you got coming up? Read reaction. Yeah, I had somebody give me kind of a hard time from the Seminole Nation this week about um, sort of how Taggart could, shouldn't have, wouldn't have been able to make adjustments based on its offensive line and the limitations there. So um, I'm hoping to take a look at the film of both of comparing Florida State's offense last year to Florida's and what Mullen did schematically to really sort of protect his players and and you know can we project that forward and what might he do with uh, with the inexperienced offensive line this year. And their best offensive lineman Dickerson's on his way to Alabama. Hey man, do something. Let's just get <laughs> <laughs> the 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 level of delusion on the Tallahassee uh, on Tallahassee Twitter right now is uh, is is pretty pretty grand, pretty grand. So I actually think they'll be a little bit better with Bryles. Um, I, I think not having uh, not having Taggart out there doing whatever he's doing is probably a good thing. Uh, but as yeah, long as Bryles can count to eleven, I think that they'll, they'll, they'll be better. <laughs> I, you know, people express concern about Florida's offensive line. I mean, we're talking like a five alarm fire when we're talking about Florida State's offensive line. So, uh, you know, again, you tell me which unit would, would you rather have? I'd rather have Florida's and especially with the coaches that they got taken care of them. So, so anyway, we'll take a look at that and see, uh, see whether there's some things on film for people to look at um, sort of as the keys, especially early in the year. All right, that's Will Miles. You can find his stuff at readandreaction.com and him on Twitter at WillMilesSEC. I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SCC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.